Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the What's in My Head podcast today. I'm joined by a Miss Linda Semensky. You will know the name, but you will also know the shows that she's worked on. Just to rattle off a few. We've got Rocco's Modern Life, Samurai Jack, The Powerpuff Girls, Dexter's Lab. Of course, Edit Eddie, it came up 15 different times at this point with your name. And I'm so happy to have you here, Miss Linda. Thank you for doing this. How are you? I am good, Julian. How are you? Fantastic. I always ask that question before and right, right when we hit the record button. It always seems weird because it's a loaded question because I already asked you that. But nonetheless, man, we're here and we're going to have some fun. Uh, for the viewers... This lady played such a huge role in not only mine, yours, and everybody else's to come, and my son's, and my son's that's coming up, his role as well, because we were such, and by we, I, I fell into the show uh, after the fact, but Dinosaur Train played nonstop in my house, oh, non, great. Non, non, nonstop with my son. He absolutely loved, I can't think of any of the characters' names because I was so burnt out at that point. But we, had, <laughs> we had the talking dinosaurs where we'd put on and they would talk to each other and they would walk away. And when they came back, they would talk to each other again. Um, he absolutely loved that show. So that was his first experience as far as shows that you've, you were a part of. Um, and since then, I have introduced him to some of the other shows and he does not want anything to do with anything like Edit and Eddie. Dexter's lab is one thing because he thinks he's a redhead like myself. So he's like, oh, I can uh, I can associate with him. Um, So how old is your son? He just turned 11. Oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah. So I'm trying to I'm trying to introduce him to everything that is good in in this Mm -hmm. world and everything that is good is stuff that you teach at the University of Penn, and it's animation. So we're going to talk strictly animation today. We might have some other stuff come up, but it's just going to depend on how well this conversation goes and how how loose we can get here, Miss Linda. So uh, how I open it up always is not so much how you got into animation, but when did you start looking at animation as far as, or do you still look at animation? I don't want to assume that I know what you're thinking in your head right now, but when did you start looking at animation more than just a cartoon and you started looking at it as like, oh shit, I can make this into a profession. Okay, this, this is going to sound like, like, like a strange thing, but I was probably about six okay. and I was watching the Flintstones and it was that moment where I, I think everyone has this moment where they're watching the Flintstones, if they watched the Flintstones growing up, <laughs> where they noticed that Fred and Barney ran past the same thing three times. And I had that moment of, how does that work? Why did they run past the same thing three times? And, and that became like something I needed to figure out. And I started like trying to understand how animation was made, not by reading a book about it. I don't think there were any books written about how animation was made at that point or, or like the, the, you know, like the, the impact of animation. There was nothing like that. The, that, that sort of, that world of the impact of television, it hadn't been figured out yet. So, so I was really just watching it and just trying to figure out how was this made? I could see at age six, these weren't humans. They were something else. You know, it wasn't real. It wasn't live action. 
but what was it and how was it made? And I remember trying to figure it out. And, and, and that, that tip off that they ran past the same background three times made me think somebody was lazy while they were making this. <laughs> and, and so this is me at, at age six, like obsessed with how cartoons are made. And, and I was also a huge fan of Bugs Bunny. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I watched a lot of Bugs Bunny cartoons and I, I was very interested in why they didn't all look the same. Mm-hmm. Like why did Bugs Bunny look, you know, weird and different ones. And why did, you know, like, like I didn't understand that they were made over, you know, a few decades, but I, I couldn't figure out why, you know, like, why was that, that they did that? And I, I also didn't realize they had been made years ago. I thought they were, you know, just like they made one every now and then, and we would just watch them. And, you know, I'd see them in movie theaters. So, so I got very interested in like, you know, what is all this and, and how does it come to be and who's making them and how do they get made? And, and, you know, and, and then I, you know, I discovered Peanuts and, and, and spent a lot of time trying to draw Charlie Brown. And that was more a comic strip than animation, but like, that was my world. I learned to read so that I could read the comics and the TV section. And that was my motivation for learning to read. And, and so, you know, that was like, it was something I was very interested in, but this was a long time ago. And so it seemed pretty weird to people, you know, like, like, like people were not really into cartoons after age eight and girls weren't, were definitely not into cartoons after age eight. So I, uh, I, I must've seemed pretty weird to a lot of people, but <laughs> I was, I was pretty obsessed with, with cartoons. Like the older I got, the more fascinated I got with them. And, uh, and I remember at like age 13 or so, you start to get to that point where you have to commit to like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I thought about it for a long time. And then I said, no, I want to, I want to write for Bugs Bunny. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and my, I remember my mom said, I don't know if it's in production anymore, but well, that's good. You know, you could do that. And she just kind of encouraged me to do that. And, and I, I always thought that was good. Now that I look back at that, you know, she, she never said, oh no, you can't do that. Or, you know, she just like, if something came on TV that was animated, she'd call me and she'd say, look at this, it's animated. And, and we'd watch it. And, you know, sometimes it was just a short or a commercial or something, but, but she was very supportive. And, um, and so, so that helped because the timing of all of this is, is particularly significant because the, the, the point that, that I got to college was uh, 1981. Mm-hmm. So if you know anything about animation history, this is kind of the low point of animation. You know, the 80s, uh, and now there are people who grew up in the 80s who think this is not true, but in my opinion, the 80s um, were, were really not a great time for animation, but definitely not a great time for feature animation. And so, you know, Disney was making, um, what were they making? Dark, no, uh, Black Cauldron. Yeah. And that came out in like, I guess, 85 or so. And, uh, and so not a good time for TV animation, not a good time for feature animation, uh, a pretty good time for independent animation. And that was something that I saw when I was in college and that blew my mind. And that was the moment where I, like, I came out of the show. It was one of those like two hour screenings of a bunch of shorts. And, and I, I said, okay, I wanna work in an industry that is somehow connected to bringing those kinds of shorts, that kind of animation 
to people. Because if people could see this kind of animation, they'd want more of it. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, people would be really into it because this is all so cool. And this to me was like, okay, if you didn't, if you stopped watching animation when you were eight, because, you know, there was really nothing good to watch. And the only thing you wanted to watch after that was like the Flintstones and Bugs Bunny. If you saw these kinds of shorts, you'd want to watch these. And so it was in my head, I should work in something related to these independent shorts. And so that was the first moment of me starting to think, okay, you know, it, it's like, maybe I won't be writing for Bugs Bunny because it's not in production anymore, but I could do something with this because these were all made in the past year or two. Mm -hmm. So I could do something with this. And from there, you know, I just felt like, okay, so if I'm going to work in this area, I need to see every animated film ever made. Now, this is before people had VCRs and tapes of animation. And, and you know, so I, if I like saw that, like the library was screening a short before a movie theater, I'd go in, watch the short, you know, leave if I didn't feel like watching the movie. You know, I was like, I would read, I'd scour the, the you know, the screenings to see if there were going to be short films before, before movies. I was really interested in that. And so I tracked all these things. And, you know, I, I started to understand there were a lot of animated shorts, so I was never going to get to see them all, but I was like working my way through them and I was very industrious about it. And, um, and that's kind of how I started thinking of animation as a, as, you know, maybe something I would really get to do when I grew up and not just, not just, you know, something I enjoyed watching. And, uh, and then, you know, my jobs, I was able to find some animation connection in some of the very early jobs. Like I, I worked in, uh, I had some summer jobs. So I worked at, at Viking Junior Books when I was uh, going into my sophomore year of college. And that was really cool because I really liked publishing. But, you know, I was like, no, I'm, I'm just going to keep focusing on, uh, on animation. And then I, I worked at Warner Brothers the next year. It was okay, but, you know, they weren't doing anything particularly interesting from my point of view. So, you know, it was, a, and it, it was, it helped me realize I didn't want to work in features, but uh, it wasn't like they weren't, you know, they weren't doing a lot. Uh, it was the summer that, uh, that National Lampoon's Vacation came out. So <laughs> that's the one thing I remember from that summer. But um, the cool thing about working there was that I was able to meet people so that I could get a summer job the next year at, um, uh, at Nickelodeon. Mm -hmm. And so I was working for a producer at Nickelodeon. Nick, Nick had maybe 20 people working there. You know, it was very small at that point. That was the summer of 84. And that was when I thought, okay, this is cool. I want to work here when I get out of school. And I bet they're going to do animation someday. And I'm going to be ready for that. So I was spending a lot of time trying to learn as much as I could about animation that whole time. And, uh, and I, like I would be in college and I'd, you know, I'd be sitting in the library trying to get through a, a reading. I was majoring in communications. And so I'd have all these you know, behavioral communications articles. They were pretty boring. So I'd go over to the little <laughs> tiny shelf that was half full. And it had like, like six or seven books about animation and a bunch of issues of Funny World. And I, I had that moment of, oh, okay. So there are other people who like this stuff. And I read through all those books and I looked through all the funny worlds and I, 
I got to, you know, I, I, I got to learn a few things through doing that. But that was it. I couldn't find any more books about animation. And, and so that was kind of the extent of my learning. There were no classes on the history of it or anything like that. But like I would write papers, you know, why do people watch Bugs Bunny reruns? You know, I would ask those questions and do the research to figure out why and things like that. So I was I was sort of cobbling together what I could to to kind of learn in advance of a career that technically didn't really exist yet. Not not what I was imagining. I didn't really want to go work for Hanna-Barbera or Disney or anything like that. So I, I, I didn't really know what I was preparing for until I worked at Nick. And then I thought, this is where I want to work. So so that's how it all came together for me. It was a little bit of an experiment. It was a little bit of me just, you know, following my interests and my passion without really knowing exactly how it was going to end up. But um, but that's pretty much how it all came together. So so there's a couple things that I want to circle back. Your mother sounds like an amazing woman. I mean, just was, yes, just yeah. the fact that because because you said something that I don't think enough people would have caught and really expound upon, and it's the fact that you said once you turned eight, you know, you kind of got looked looked at differently. And we talked briefly about uh, Mr. Beck. Jerry Beck was on last night. And he said the same concept. He's like, once you get to a certain age, they look at you funny if you're like, I, I, we, we showed each other our comic book collection and everything like that. We got real nerdy last night. But like, once you get to a certain age, you get looked at differently because you shouldn't be reading that because it's a kid's book or you shouldn't be watching that because it's made for kids. And Jerry was very adamant when, when he was talking about, you know, Bugs Bunny and Daffy and all these cool cartoons back in the day. He's like, these things weren't made for kids. And he right. was, kids right. watch them now. Mm-hmm. These were not yeah. made for kids. Mm-hmm. And I never thought about that to an extent until he really said, I was like, well, shit, Jerry, you're, a, you're an expert here. And I'm like, I never in my 30, I'll be 32 in August in my 32 mm-hmm. years of life. I've been watching cartoons for at least 28 of those years. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I never thought that like, man, the cartoons that I grew up on with the exception of the cartoon boom at the end, mm-hmm. mid nineties, really. I mean, you got the early nineties and stuff with mm-hmm. you know, Rocco and Rugrats and all that other stuff. And that kind of led to the, just the explosion of, of what Fred and his team and everybody, all the great creators did with what a cartoon and cartoon cartoon, all these just huge initiatives that they did over at cartoon network and Hanna-Barbera studios. Um, it, it just, it, it, kind of cascaded and I'm like god damn it. I mean just to sit there and see somebody else's opinion right and you think about it you're like wow these were not made for kids yet we're having kids watch them and then when parents mm-hmm. go and watch these now that's why you see and he brought it up as well all these cancellations of these characters like like Pepe Le Pew is a real big one like oh we can't trust him but everybody and I mentioned this last night like everybody knows somebody that's a Pepe Le Pew everybody knows somebody that's a Daffy Duck everybody knows a bug so it's it's very it's very weird that we're you know we're canceling these characters we're canceling these things that weren't intended for kids to begin with but yet mm-hmm. you're kind of this might be I've gotten comments on this one that I say I have an ax to grind with the younger generation, which I really don't, but it's like we're coddling, I guess, to an extent with some of these, these cartoons that like, like we just talked about, they weren't made for kids. Um, but nonetheless, I digress. I want to get back to my original point was not only was your mother a great lady, it sounds like, and very, very influential and just pushing you into the path that you didn't know you would end up on. You were, you were laying the foundation essentially for what was to come, right? Laying brick by brick at a time. And at eight years old, you're getting looked at weird. And one point I really wanted to circle back to was that you're, you're female, right? So obviously, whenever I would look at these credits, and I'm very new to looking 
deeper than just what I'm watching, right? So I've been looking, I want to know more and more and more about all these people. That's why I have you on. I want to know more about you and how you got to the role you're at and doing everything you're doing. And then everywhere you went, I mean, you might not think of it this way, but when I look at your resume, every, everything you worked on was hit after hit after hit after hit after hit, right? It, it's fantastic and very rare. Do you oh, see thanks. this? And even mm -hmm. rare, I mean, even rare is, I don't remember seeing very many female names in this. And I don't want to be, you know, that guy and say, you know, oh, we got to we got to highlight the fact that you're a female. This is a very, very big thing, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's not just the fact that, you know, she was on shows that I mentioned in the beginning. Um, it, it's the fact that it's a pretty, pretty well documented that it's a very, very male oriented profession, is it not? Oh, that's completely true. Although, um, you know, and one of the things that I, I do want to point out, like for me and Jerry, it was also timing. Mm -hmm. We were we were enjoying cartoons past the point where we were supposed to during a time where like kids showed that they were growing up by not watching kids shows anymore. And so like now, if you continue to watch Cartoon Network all the way through adulthood, no one would really question that. Yeah. I mean, maybe someone would, but that would be a, you know, an evil. You don't need person. those people in your life. But not as, it was a much bigger deal back in like the seventies or mm -hmm. the eighties to, you know, early eighties, you know, at that point, you know, it, it, it was seen as kind of a weird thing, but I didn't really care. I liked it. So, you know, I was, I was sort of, um, you know, I, I was just sort of like, like I was into it like, like, you know, beyond the point where it was casual and people understood that about me. Yeah. So, so like, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't worried about that. And, and, you know, if people had issues with it, I didn't really care. And, uh, and so like, it didn't have any effect on me, but, you know, people would think it was funny. Mm -hmm. I thought that was funny that they thought it was funny. And I was always trying to get people to come watch cartoons, which they usually would. <laughs> so it really wasn't, that big of a deal. I mean, I remember at one point in college, someone said, you know, if you want to work in cartoons, why are you here? And I, I said, I'm developing my sense of humor. And <laughs> we just left it at that. And no one ever asked me about it again. So that was that. But, you know, when I, when I got my jobs, people from college were all like, oh yeah, well, that makes sense. And, you know, I was, I was happy that all worked out. So that was good. But um, I think the thing about about being a woman in the industry was there a lot of women did work on the development side and a lot of women worked on the production side. So, so being a woman working on it, like in either of those areas was not particularly notable because there were a lot of women who it, the, the, there weren't women creators and there weren't, there weren't a lot of women uh, directors or board artists. So those were the interesting ones. And when you meet people now who are like Yvette Kaplan, who, you know, was, a, was, was directing, uh, that was more unusual and, and, and actually less unusual in New York. It would have been more unusual in LA where there were so many more directors. But, you know, like that sort of thing would have been odd. Me doing development, that that didn't seem odd. And I was at Nick at that point and Nick had a lot of women executives. So, you know, nobody, nobody questioned it except for the, you know, the guys in the studios 
like, you know, guys like John Kay were always like, oh, women, they're not funny. They don't laugh at anything. They don't get our jokes. They don't understand our sense of humor. So we had to put up with a lot of like, you know, like, well, of course she won't understand this because you wouldn't understand why cheese is funny. And it's like, no, I don't. You're right. So, so we, you know, we heard a lot of that, but, um, you know, I think that was mostly designed to get us to say, well, if we don't know what's funny, just go ahead and make your cartoons and we, you know, we won't bother you. But, you know, I always felt like, you know, I, I kind of know what's funny, I think, and uh, I'm not sure you do. So, you know, <laughs> so that was my attitude with some people. But so I'd say that was the odd thing was, was really being like being an animation nerd or being an animation fanatic. That was a little more unusual, but mm. not not completely unusual because, you know, I got to the industry and there were, there were some women in it. And a lot of people liked a lot of the same things, like things that I thought were just kind of odd. You'd walk through an animation studio and you'd see all these things up and like, like I really liked um, Jim Flora, you know, Jim Flora, the, um, he drew a lot of weird jazz album covers okay. back in the fifties and maybe the sixties. And, uh, and so I went through my father's jazz collection one time and I took all of the albums that had Jim Flora covers and I put them up on my wall. And I remember my father was like, did I say you could have those? And I was like, <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, I really liked those. And to this day, I still have some up like in my office or around the house. And, um, I remember walking through an animation studio and seeing at least three people with Jim Flora stuff tacked up on their their walls and I was like okay yeah these are my people <laughs> and 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 so I, I just kind of realized at that point you know okay this is like a this is a culture and I didn't realize I was like preparing to be part of it but a lot of the things I like are a lot of the things that everyone in this crowd likes you know like if you mentioned peanuts in a random group of people people would be like hey, I read that as a kid and, you know, you mentioned Peanuts in, in a, a, you know, a group of animators and everyone's like, I could never draw Linus's head. And, you know, people would have that conversation or, you know, you know, it's hard, Lucy's hair, things like that. And, uh, and so, so that was like, to me, that was the unusual thing was being really into it. Like a lot of people got into animation because they liked Disney or, you know, they just liked you know, the idea of working in animation, but there were certain people who got into it because they were total fans. And so I would put myself in that category of just like a big nerd about it, you know? And, and, and when, you know, I mean, you know, big nerds, when, they're, when people are really into something, that's sad, they don't care what anybody thinks. So I, I don't really know what people were thinking. I did observe at age eight that, you know, people didn't watch cartoons anymore, but you know, I like it, it didn't really, I wasn't trying to prove anything. So I, I wasn't too worried. I wasn't trying to prove I was a grown up. I was scared of being a grown up. So as, as you should be there, yeah. there is nothing worse. And I want to see if I, ha I have it to run here. Some up oh, here. This hold on one second. Um, I, I'm so glad you bring up the peanuts because I'm, I'm such a huge fan. And uh, my wife actually got this last year for me for our uh, anniversary. Um, oh yeah. That's a great book. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. It, it's it's yeah. gonna sound like I'm not a fan right now, but I've actually got this thing sitting up on uh, on a box here. She got me this as well. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a real big fan. 
I haven't put it together yet, but it's my, oh, my little, great. little peanuts puzzle and stuff like that. So I, I love just just the fact that whenever you would hear an adult, uh, an adult talk, because this is exactly what I hear as a kid, want, 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 whenever an adult would talk, that's what I hear. And the fact that it was, it was, it seemed like it was the first cartoon I saw that was meant for kids or it didn't talk down to kids or it didn't make you feel like, oh man, like what did, what did they mean when they said that? You know, it just, it felt mm-hmm. different and it felt like it was a kid or it was felt like it was for a kid. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's such, it's such a great thing. And, and one thing that I really like hearing is like, you, you don't want to feel old. That was the worst thing. Or you don't want to feel like an adult. You don't want to feel like you're older than you actually are. That was the dumbest thing I wished when I was younger. I can't wait to be an adult. Let me tell you, boys and girls, if you're younger than 18, cherish the last moments of your life. Because when you hit 18, this is what happens. You have to start paying bills. You have to start getting a job. You have to do this, that, and the other. And you, well, most people like my brother and my little sister, they're still living off my mom. They'll hate me for saying that. I mean, my brother's moved out now. But my little sister for sure is taking it for granted. She's in her twenties at this point. Um, but be a kid as long as you possibly can. And watching cartoons really helps that. Um, now, when you were talking about uh, a lot of the things you were saying, uh, you mentioned something I never thought about to ask it. So obviously, East Coast and West Coast, very different when it comes to culture. I've been stationed over on the West Coast and I've been stationed on the East Coast. I'm an East Coast guy my entire life. Um, mm-hmm. However, where I live at is the wild, wild West. We're in Florida. So there's nothing conventional about this state. This state, anytime you hear Florida, you instantly think of a dude riding a gator that was given the raccoon meth. Those are generally the first couple things you <laughs> think about when you to Florida. Um, and I never thought to ask this and I should have asked Jerry, but since you're here and you're just as much of an expert when it comes to animation as Jerry, um, at least in my eyes, um, when you think styles, everybody's got their style of food. You got East coast pizza, you got West coast pizza. Was there a distinct style as far as animation goes when it comes to East coast and West coast studios? Well, yes, there, you know, especially in the early days of animation, you know, animation started American animation really started more in New York than LA mm-hmm. um, you know they the animation emerged out of the, um, you know, the sort of the the intersection of newspaper comic strips and vaudeville mm-hmm. and minstrelsy and the invention of the cam you know the 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 camera where you could do one frame at a time yeah so all of those things kind of happened to they sort of converged to create animation mm-hmm. as you know as as we know it and so that was happening more in new york that was you know like where comic strips were made and everything so you had um you know all the draftsmen like uh, windsor mckay sitting there in new york you know doing their comic strips and doing their animation and and so the style that 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 came out of new york i i tend to think you know of it more as like the the weird sort of, um, you know, that combination of the Fleischer style and the Van Buren style, all, all of those weird things, you know, like if you think of the, you know, like any cartoon where you saw like everything was animated, the buildings were bobbing up and down to the music. That's to me, that's a very New York thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were no buildings like that in, in LA. So no one was drawing those in LA. That was a very, very much a New York thing uh, in LA when people started going out there and doing cartoons was, you know, it was, you know, much more of like a, you know, like 
like farm jokes and animal jokes and things like that. But, you know, you had things like Betty Boop coming out of New York. So it was much more urban, much grittier, much more ethnic, much more sort of um, uh, weird, a lot weirder. And in LA, you know, there were farm jokes. And, you know, Jerry could probably put a finer point on all of that, but that's my observation is that, you know, what came out of New York was, was a lot stranger and a lot more sort of urban and, you know, just represented a different kind of world. And uh, things were a little lighter and sillier with what came out in LA. Um, and a lot more, um, you know, Disney started doing the, the first really, you know, personality driven cartoons. So that's something that, that started up there. Um, but yeah, there definitely was a, a, a difference in the, a difference in tone from the two places. And, and uh, you know, there's always been much more of an animation industry in LA, you know, in, in, in New York, I would say there's not really an animation industry at this point. It's more like there are places that do some animation you can get jobs in animation, but you know, there's not, as far as the industry goes, the industry is in other places, but it's not really in New York anymore, which is unfortunate because you know, there have been points where there's been a lot going on in New York and um, not, as, not as much now. People, you know, they, it's, it's more, I used to think, think of it as being more like advertising oriented, but there's really not much going on for animation and advertising at the moment. So, so I'd say, you know, it's, it's more just their small studios and there's some network run studios and things like that, but it's not, um, it's not a, it's not a big scene anymore, but yeah, back, you know, in the twenties and thirties, it was, it was really just all of that weirdness coming together, you know, like people figuring out what can we do with this? What can we use animation for? Well, you can use it to bring things to life that aren't alive. And so, you know, that's hence the singing buildings and such, you know, and, and dancing buildings, you know, all that sort of thing. Now, since you've been watching animation and you said at such a young age, like eight, I think it was eight, right? Was it six or eight? Yeah, well, I started, according to my mother, I started like in my baby book, it says, age three, loves to watch cartoons. So <laughs> I think as far as I know, when they let me watch TV, I watched cartoons and, and loved them. So, so yeah, that's pretty much when I started. I was, I was a little, little kid when I was watching cartoons and, uh, and just continued to watch them. So, so yeah, so, but it was, it was around age eight where I started noticing that, you know, the, the uh, people, people stopped watching kids' shows started watching like you know serious stuff like it's, it's, brady it, bunch it, it all oh, that's such a horrible show i can't every time there's a few shows like i always wanted to watch stuff with the exception of like i'm a huge wrestling fan even today mm -hmm. it's, it's the it's the male version of a soap opera i'm, I'm told mm -hmm. that on a consistent basis however i look at i look at entertainment a lot differently than most people I don't ever sit here and say something is good or bad or indifferent because I'm not in that industry, right? I, I don't feel like as a consumer, it's either made for me or it's not made for me. And I, and mm -hmm. I, at a younger age, I think I, I struggled with that because I'm like, oh man, they keep cranking out new Ninja Turtle. We'll just use that for an example because it's the easiest for me to, to really 
compare and contrast a lot of things with. Um, at a certain age, I don't know if you were ever watching any of the stuff that the Ninja Turtles were doing, but they had one called The Next Generation, which it was right after the 90s movies. Um, and they introduced, this is where they introduced a female turtle, the fifth turtle, Venus. Um, and the costumes were horrendous. They tried to capture what they had with the Jim Henson products or with the pr uh, production company. Mm -hmm. And then after Jim died, after the second one, they didn't renew it for the third one. They went with, I can't even, I don't even want to think about the name of the company they used for the third movie. Um, but it was just it, it horrible quality and everything like that. But once the new generation hit for the turtles, I was, that was, I want to say 97, 98. So I'm eight or nine at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And kind of like you, when you started looking at animation, you know, as more of like, you know, you were, you were, you were looking at more than just a fan. You were looking at it. Like, I need to know this. I need to know that. Like, why, why did they run by the same tree three times? Was right. this guy lazy yeah. or drunk? What mm -hmm. was he doing? You know? So I, I started looking at things in this aspect where it's like, mm -hmm. I don't have to like everything, right. Whether I'm diehard turtle fan or I'm a diehard, let's just come up with the first one, Dexter's lab fan. If they have so many iterations of any of these things, there's one that's obviously going to be for me. And it's generally the first one you see or the one mm -hmm. you grow up with when you hit that initial stage where you just start looking at things differently. And then anything after that, it's it's sub not subpar because that's an incorrect term. And that's a, I guess it's a mean term, but it doesn't live up to the hype of the first one you saw or whatever hooked you in the first place. Right. And that's right. when I started looking at things where it's like, ah, oh, it's not good. It's not bad. It doesn't suck. It's not the greatest. It's just like, it's what's for me. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I look at things like this, I can't sit there and say, this was a bad piece of animation, or this is a great piece of animation. I look at it in this sense. I, like, I go and look at it like, oh man, this is great. This speaks to me. This is made for somebody else. Right. So I can mm -hmm. have fun with this one, even though there's the second one out here, it's new and it, it, it's getting so much hate or it's getting so much love. I still have what means the most to me here that I can watch. Right. And I wish more people would look at everything like that, entertainment, music, you know, all of it. Um, so I'll never go out and say anything sucked. However, you brought up a name that I have had. I don't understand the the cult following to this show. And when you say John K, I'm assuming you mean the creator of Ren and Stimpy, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to come off and say it. Just I'm a sailor. So I, I like little little words. Right. So we're going to leave it at that. This guy is a douchebag. I have heard nothing but horrible stories about this guy. I've never understood the the fascination with Ren and Stimpy. I've tried getting through it with the exception of Billy West and a few other voice actors that I've had that have heard that have on there with Cheryl Chase, the voice of Angelica. I have heard no good stories about this man. And I'm just pretty much going to leave it at that because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. I don't want this guy's obviously never going to be on my podcast because I just don't like the show other than the voice actors and a lot of the artists on there. No intention of bringing him on, but I've just never, I've never understood the mindset you would say like, oh, women don't know funny or they, they have to do this. So if they just leave me alone, we'll just let him do, uh, we'll, we'll let the boys do, you know, their cartoons since they know. And I, I love the fact that you're like, no, I'm going to be a part of this. I'm, I know what I need to do. You have your job. I have my job and I have to keep you on track. And one thing that came up so often, the only reason I brought that up is because you, you, you said that they alluded to the fact that you just don't know funny. So they would assume they would just let you do whatever they wanted to do. One show in particular, you did let them do whatever they wanted to do. And I'm so glad you did it. And the reason your name came up, like I said, I, I talked about it in the beginning of the show. Your name came up so many times when I talked, I went, I only intended to do four episodes for Ed, Ed and Eddie, right? I was, I talked to Mike, I talked to Matt Hill, which was the voice of Ed. Um, mm -hmm. I talked to Jono 
and I had on, I think, Big Jim. So that was essentially all I was going to do. However, Mike Kubat, which is a fantastic human being, he told me, hey, man, you should talk to this person and this person, and this person. If you have any issues, I'll help you connect. I'll help bridge the gap, right? Which I'm ever grateful for Mike. He's such a fantastic, him and Jono, they talked to me more than any person should have talked to somebody that was a fan because I'm sitting out nerding out in front of these guys. I couldn't have a coherent conversation with, with them to begin with. So I had to, <laughs> I had to sit there and, and breathe. Yeah. Right? So Mm-hmm. when they told me that, that, like I said, your name came up more in that show than any other show. There was a few of them. I had, uh, I'm going to butcher his last name, but it's Carlos. Uh, he played Rocco in Rocco. Oh, Car- Alice Rocky. Yeah. Thank you. I always, I, I hate saying people's last names that I can't pronounce. Cause I always, I always hate when somebody says my name wrong and I've got an easy name. I get called Justin all the time or Jeremy. There's no letters in there that, that, that match or rhyme with my name. So I always take offense when I say somebody's name wrong, but Nonetheless, man, you came up so many times. And the one thing they always said was Linda was fantastic. And here's why she let Danny be Danny. Obviously she had to reel him in sometimes as most people do with a lot of people. Um, However, I've never seen a show quite like Ed, Ed and Eddie, and I've never seen somebody. um, And maybe I just haven't seen a lot of animation at this point, but I've never seen somebody that literally got handed the keys to the kingdom that said, make a show, make it yours, say everything you have to say. And by the end of that show, when you watch it from start to finish, which I've just started rewatching again since it hit HBO Max not too long ago, they essentially got to say everything they wanted to say and then some. It was one of the craziest shows I have ever seen in my life. And like I mentioned with, you know, Pepe Le Pew and Daffy and Bugs, you could take somebody from each one of those characters and you could point to them. I grew up on a cul-de-sac for a few years. So I had somebody that was like a Rolf. I had somebody that was like a Jimmy and an Ed and all these other people. And to to sit here and see, and you brought up earlier, diversity and, and, and representation, all this other stuff, to see such a diverse cast on TV was so far ahead of its time. And I'm hoping one day I'll be able to actually get Danny on here to talk to him, but I'm hoping that that, that thing would, that show in particular would be, I guess, highlighted more because you need creators that have that kind of freedom. And the reason I bring the connections with Danny and you up is because I want to know everything. And I feel like we're going to skip over so much um, of your career, but to sit here and really talk about your career, I need like 18 of Jerry Beck's and Leonard Malton's books just to talk about the early years of Miss Linda Semensky. So it's going to feel like we're going to jump around, but I promise you, if you're up for it, down the road, we'll get you back on. And like I said, we could do 15 parts just on you, and it's just Nickelodeon years at this point. Um, but I only got you for a little bit of time, so there's a few key points that I for sure wanted to hit. How did you meet Danny Antonucci and get involved with the Ed Boys as they as they're known today? Okay, so uh, you know, well, I'm happy to talk about whatever you're interested in. So we don't have to cover my whole career. It would uh, it would take a long time because I'm pretty old. But uh, <laughs> so I'll I, I will I will focus on. Danny, because I, I remember all of this pretty vividly. So uh, Danny had a film, uh, uh, Lupo the Butcher, that ran in a, um, it ran in one of the traveling shows of animation shorts. Mm-hmm. 
And so I had seen it and like, it was pretty silly. It was a little intense, but I wasn't looking at it for that. I was just mostly looking at it because it was just such a, um, just such an odd short in the midst of all of these rather, you know, serious shorts. It, it was just, a, you know, but I really liked the design of it. I thought the design was fun. And I, you know, I, I, over time, I, you know, I started hearing, uh, you know, more stories about, you know, Danny, just that this was based on his uncle. And he's a really funny guy. And, and I really wanted to meet him. So uh, we finally got to meet, I was, uh, I was out in, in, um, was it? Yeah, I was out in Vancouver, I think. And I had, I had requested specifically if I could meet him and a, a couple of the guys from International Rocket Ship. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they, they met with me and we all went out to dinner and that was a lot of fun. And we didn't end up, I didn't end up working with any of them at, um, at, uh, at Nick. I, I was still working at Nick at that point. But then I got to know Danny because he was doing some, uh, he was doing the Brothers Grunt for MTV. Yeah. And I can remember like every now and then he'd be in New York and um, like, you know, I'd see him in the office and, you know, we, we had sort of a, a cordial, uh, we didn't know each other super well, but we had a cordial relationship. And I remember like having dinner with him one time with Abby Turkuli from MTV and a few other people. And, and that was fun. And so yeah, I just was getting to know him. And then I went off to Cartoon Network and he, um, he called me at one point and he said, I had an idea for a show and uh, I, I'm going to fax it to you. And, and it was just a fax. And it just said, um, uh, Ed and Eddie, they're friends because they have the same first name. And I remember laughing and thinking about how I was friends with two people named Linda. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking we're friends because we're named Linda. And that's pretty much the, the story here. And so when I saw this, I was just like, oh, that is so funny. And, and then, you know, he sent me more stuff about it and like all the characters seemed funny mm-hmm. and, and it, you know, it was like, okay, here's a guy who knows childhood. Yeah. He, he, he knows it and he, he's really captured it, you know, just all the little things, you know, the, the kid who eats the weird foods and the, you know, the, the, um, you know, the, the mean kid and, and, you know, the popular girl who's actually very nice and, and, you know, the annoying little sister, it's like, you know, the, and, and the things about the Eds, you know, there, it was just all there. Mm. And everyone I showed it to at Cartoon Network, they were like, oh yeah, that looks cool. And so, so it was, um, you know, it was, it, it seemed like, you know, I mean, at that point, Cartoon Network hadn't picked up anything that wasn't coming in through Hanna-Barbera. But I showed it to my boss and he said, yeah, let's do it. And so we, uh, you know, we started working with, with Danny and um, there was a little bit of a funny story. I mean, I think he would tell it if, uh, if, um, uh, you know, if if asked, but I'll tell it first. So, so (laughs) at one point uh, we, we were, you know, we were working, I think we were like talking to his lawyer already. And they mentioned that Nickelodeon was also bidding on it. And, and I was like, oh my God, this could go to Nick. And, you know, I had just left Nick. So they couldn't have it. I wanted it. <laughs> and I, I, I called up Danny and I started yelling at him. I was like, how could you? I want this show. This should be our show. We'll let you do everything you want. It's going to be more fun if you make it, a, you know, and I like 
was like yelling at him. And I remember I stood up at my desk so that I could yell louder. You know, it was like, it was like, I was, you know, and I, it wasn't mean yelling. It was like begging yelling, but I was yelling at him. And after that, he decided to go with us because I called him up and I yelled at him and he responded to that. And, you know, he's, I thought that was funny, but he said, it's cause I could tell you really wanted the show. And, uh, and so, so then he went with us and we were, we were a little, there was a little more freedom at cartoon than at Nick. That is, that is certain. Um, and so my goal was really just with each person, it was to understand what were they trying to do? What is the show that they wanted to make? And then to make sure that that's the show they made, you know, just to help them with that. So like kind of be a first audience and look at everything and just to make sure they were making the show they said they were going to make. And, you know, part of my job was standards. Part of my job was, um, you know, making sure it worked for kids. But I don't remember any of that being a real problem with Ed, Ed and Eddie. I mean, I'm sure there were occasionally standards issues. Um, but, but, you know, like, like, I don't have vivid memories of anything ever being really problematic. You know, I, I think occasionally there would be a joke where it would be like, oh, that's that's not even really innuendo. That's pretty direct. And we just say, oh, I don't think you can say that. And he'd be like, OK. And like, I don't ever remember anything being that much of a problem. I, I, I do remember Danny spending so much time on each episode. Yeah. You know, like he was a real sort of a, a perfectionist. You know, he had a vision for this and he worked really hard to achieve that, which we all thought was actually good. And I, I always used to joke around about all the shows and say, I don't think they give prizes for best on time schedule, you know, like, like, you know, I think it, it really all comes down to, will they stand the test of time? And if they need a little extra time to do that, we can do that. And so I was a terrible producer in that respect, in that I always wanted to give people the extra time that they needed. But I wasn't a producer. I mainly worked on the development side, the development and the current series side, where I could just help people see their visions through. And so that's how I saw it. You know, I was like, you know, I was I was a person who basically was was in a position like a, you know, like a book editor. Mm -hmm. My job was to do the best possible version of this person's idea. I was helping them to do it by just basically you know, looking out for them back at the network and explaining the goals of the network to the people at the show. And that's how I saw it. And, you know, I know that there were people who worked on Ed, Ed, and Eddie who probably, you know, were trying to keep him on schedule and were probably a little bit stressed out, but that wasn't exactly my job. So I didn't get too rattled about that. And, uh, and, and, and Danny's just a really great guy. You know, he has a huge heart. He, um, he has a crazy sense of humor, you know, and a very distinct drawing style. Um, but, you know, I, I think what made the cartoon work so well was the amount of heart that went into yes. it. And, and, you know, if you go like underneath the unusual style and underneath the crazy animation and underneath all the, the weirdness, there really is a heart there. And, you know, and, and a, an insight, you know, here's a guy that's able to, you know, corral all these people to tell these stories about childhood mm -hmm. and, you know, about what it's like to be a kid and what it's like to deal with people that you're stuck hanging out with because you all live near each other. Yeah. 
And I always thought that was kind of a funny topic anyway, because, you know, I certainly had to hang out with people that, you know, I didn't want to hang out with either because we lived on the same street or our parents were friends or we were related. But, you know, it's like your whole childhood is, you know, you hanging out with people that maybe aren't the best for you. You know, geography has decided that, you know, you're going to hang out with them. And he captures that feeling of, you know, difficult people that you're stuck hanging out with really well. So I always thought pretty magical. So, so yeah, I don't, you know, like, I don't remember stressing over much with the show. I mean, there were probably lots of little things, but I, I don't remember finding it to be a really hard show. And I don't remember them trying to, you know, put a lot of things in to get away with it. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, there were a lot of other shows I worked on where people were always sneaking things in. But, but you know, I think the people who were really trying to make a good show, they didn't get too caught up in that. Or, and if they did, if they did want to do something, they were clever about it. You know, they weren't, they weren't creepy about it. They were clever. You know, I mean, I know Powerpuff Girls occasionally would have a little joke or, or Dexter maybe, you know, a little joke in there that, that you know, the people in later years would say, did you know? And it's like, yeah, but you know, we figured, you know, we, you know, we, we weren't, we weren't super worried. In fact, you know, there were times where I was trying to get away with things too. There was a, a Dexter's lab cartoon rude removal. And I remember getting called down to the, the president of, of Cartoon Network's office and the head of standards was sitting there and they were both looking at me and, and I was trying to make a case for why rude removal was, fine and um and they were like would you like to have you know attend a series of focus groups with parents Jesus Christ. <laughs> to learn more about why this wouldn't really be a good cartoon and i was like no no i wouldn't <laughs> i'll go pull it but you know it ended up uh i think we we did run it in the end anyway i think it, we just ran it you know like like, I, I don't remember, but I, I think we found some way to to get it on without, uh, you know, to get it on the air without, you know, I think we must have bleeped out a lot of things in it. But but I remember getting in a little bit of trouble for that. But I didn't care. You know, I at Cartoon Network, there was a little bit of credibility for getting in trouble. So, you know, I I was like, no problem. But, you know, I always felt like, you know, I was there to defend the people making the cartoons and I was happy to do that. And, uh, you know, there were only a, a couple of times where I felt people pushed it so much that I was just mad at them. And, you know, occasionally we'd have to pull something. And, but, you know, we never had that problem with Ed and Eddie that I can think of. You know, it was solid. So, so I, uh, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, if people are having fun making the shows, it, it comes through. So I really just wanted them all to be having fun. Now, I know that, that Danny was tough on the board artists because he always pushed them to do better work. And, yeah. you know, I don't think everyone was used to that. I don't think they were used to the, the pressure of, yeah, you can make that funnier or that could be better or that sort of thing. So you're smiling. So you probably heard some stories about that. I've, I've had some stories on here that I've had to cut out of episodes completely because mm -hmm. <laughs> in cancel culture, I mean, I'll, I'll tell mm -hmm. me to you offline if you want to. Um, there, there is a few stories here that I've had to completely cut out and uh, I've never had 
more fun. Like you always hear that 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 quote, that adage, whatever it was, whatever you call it. Don't meet your heroes, right? Because you always have mm -hmm. an expectation of somebody, and very rarely do people meet your expectation in a good way, right? Um, with that show, everybody I've talked to, and I've talked to, I've got a few few more people coming on. I've still got. I'm probably going to butcher his name too. Patrick Carrod, the composer for that one. I've got him coming on. Oh yeah. Great. And uh, Rachel Lockhart or Lockett. Um, Lock, I think it's Lockett. She was one of the writers as well for a couple of the uh, later seasons. Um, and everybody has the same mess, the same concept or the same comments that without that show, without Danny, without Danny pushing them the way they, the way he pushed them. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you, you hit on it perfectly because everything I've heard from him, I heard about Danny, excuse me, is that he's a perfectionist, that he wants nothing less than perfect because you very rarely do you get a chance to say what you want to say or what you need to say or really describe what you're feeling. And mm -hmm. very rarely, if you ever get that, do you have an audience to say it to? And as an artist or anybody in a creative endeavor, there's nothing worse than having something you want to say and having nobody to say it to. It is crippling when you're in a creative field. And I feel just as a fan on the outside looking in from everything I've heard to the uh, I'm sure you've heard posted notes that Danny would write um, it like uh, one of my favorite ones was Big Jim. Um, he, he said that uh, one of the post notes he had was, it looks like you drew this with your ass. Um, another <laughs> one would be uh, find a new profession. Um, but one that I really wanted to hit on, and you mentioned as well, is where's the heart or where's the soul in this, right? Mm -hmm. And watching this cartoon, from the beginning of the cartoon to the end of the cartoon, I was hooked, right? And it all started with that theme song. And I've told this story a couple times, but however, I always like telling it to people because it is one of, I want to say my proudest moments, but it is one of my fondest memories. I, I, I'll never forget this at all. So when I was very, very little, uh, I saw an episode of Hey Arnold, right? And it was the Pigeon Man episode. And um, it was about... Uh, you know, the guy find the guy being a pigeon man, he's a homeless guy. And, you know, he's trying to find his way and all this other stuff. At the end of the episode, spoiler, it's been out for 30 years, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, don't crucify me here. But he ends up flying away. And it's like this big, you know, Jesus type moment, right? Oh, as I almost drop over my orange soda, that would have been bad. Um, but uh, when I saw that episode, I, I the very next day or a couple weeks later, whatever it was, I saw a pigeon at my sister's house, right? And usually when you get close to a bird, they fly away. Well, this bird wasn't flying away when I got close. You know, his wing was dragging. So I go and I tell my sister and she's like, well, go try to pick him up and see what happens. So I'm nine, 10 years old. I go up and pick up a pigeon and he didn't fly away, right? So I have him in my hand. I'm like, hey, he's got a little band on his leg. And she was like, well, let's call the number. So we call the number. And this guy that lived like 15, 20 miles down the road lost this pigeon months ago, right? He figured the pigeon was dead. Um, and he's like, I'll be right over. He comes over and he trains pigeons. They're carrier pigeons. So he would train pigeons to deliver messages and races and all this other stuff. And I had such a fascination with pigeons and it all started with these guys right here from the Animaniacs. I, I wanted to be in the mafia when I was younger. Oh, yeah. and I love the good fellas, which turned out to be mm -hmm. the good feathers. Um, so I had this, this weird fascination with pigeons. 
And um, he was like, I'll give you a pigeon. You know, most people wouldn't even pick up a bird, let alone call the number that was on it. So I really appreciate it because he's like, this is one of my favorite birds. And I looked at my mom and she's like, absolutely fucking not, quote unquote. We are not getting a pigeon. We don't have the space for it. They stink. They smell. I'm like, mom, but this pigeon is cool, man. And she's like, you're not going to be that kid that wants a pigeon. And I was like, okay, I guess. And then a couple of weeks go by and then she, she's like, Hey, you know what? You did a good thing. Let's get you a bird. Right. I had a dog, but I always was fascinated with birds. So she took me to this place and I got a cockatiel. And before I even picked out a cockatiel, cause all these cockatiels were hand fed. So they were very, very docile. You could pick them up. You could play with them. You could love on them and everything. It was like a, it was like a cat or a dog. You could just love on Right. And before I even saw the bird that I was going to get, I heard him, right? I walk into the thing and there's hundreds of birds all over the place and I hear him and I just happen to look over and this bird, and I ended up naming him Nacho. I've always been a fat kid. Food has always fascinated me. That's why I'm in the profession I'm in because I love food, right? So I named him Nacho because he had these really rosy orange cheeks that looked like nacho cheese from the gas station. So I named him Nacho. And he was hanging upside down like a bat and swinging back and forth going, just learning to whistle because he was still a baby, right? So I get this bird and I was like, I want that one, mom. And then my mom got me him. So I take him home and he's the coolest bird in the world, man. He would get out of the cage. We never clipped his wings because I love seeing him fly, right? I wanted to see him fly because I always wanted to fly when I was a kid. So I just see him fly around the room, right? And me and my, my younger brother shared a room. He did not like my brother at all. Every time he flew around the room, he would shit on my brother's bed. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> my brother hated it, right? So at the end of the night, you put a blanket over the bird because it simulates the sun going down and it mm-hmm. says, oh, I have to go to sleep now. Right. So all summer or no, excuse me, all school year, whenever I would get up in the morning, I would always an early riser. I'd get up at 536 o'clock. And the first thing that was generally on during that time frame for the Cartoon Network block was Ed, Ed, and Eddie, right? And I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember the theme song, but mm-hmm. right. So that's how it would start. And I would hear as the weeks go by, Nacho learning this theme song. <laughs> by the end oh, of a school great. year, we start in August in Florida and we end about May or June, depending on if we have a bunch of hurricanes that extend the school year because you can't go to school when the, the power's out. Right? He learned that entire Ed, Ed and Eddie theme song within a school year, right? <laughs> That's and great. I was such a fan of that show until this bird started singing it during summertime, rain or shine. It was like the Pavlov do- Pavlov's dog, the experiment. Every time he heard a whistle, his mouth would drool, he'd give him a treat and all that other stuff, right? It was the same concept. Every morning at six o'clock, this bird, Nacho, would wake up in the morning and I would wake up to the Ed, Ed, and Eddie theme song every single morning. <laughs> so That's that was- great. That was one attachment I've, I've had with the show. And every time I've told that story to the guys, they, they think it's great, man. Yeah. And- um, so, so the, the, this show specifically, right. It, it, what you said, it encapsulated what a kid is, right. That boiling line that was animated around. Mm-hmm. I never thought to ask that. And it just came up randomly. And John, John was talking about, uh, you know, Danny had this idea that kids have this, this energy, right. They're always moving, even when they're not. And I never thought about it. And I start watching, I'm like, holy shit, that, that makes perfect sense. All these kids have this pent up energy and it's always moving. And the boiling line was just one other thing. And then not to mention all the colors with the crazy colored tongues because of the mm-hmm. jawbreakers and all this other right. kind of stuff and all mm-hmm. these hijinks they would get into. This show is just so phenomenal. It will stand the test of time. In my opinion, this was the greatest show Cartoon Network 
did during that era, right? And, you know, once this show ended around 2008, 2009 is when I joined the military and I pretty much gave up animation. I noticed what we talked about earlier. There just wasn't a lot of stuff that was made for me. There wasn't a lot of stuff that was made for, you know, a six foot two redheaded dude from Florida. It just didn't seem like it was my animation, but I still have the animation that I grew up on that I could be a fan of, right? And then it wasn't till a few years later when I saw a show, and I don't know if you watch, you know, too much cartoon. You're a busy lady is essentially what I'm getting at, Miss Linda. I mean, how you have time to talk to me, let alone do your job and keep everybody on task is fucking baffling when I sit here and think about the hours. Not only do you do that, you're a professor as well. And it is, it's in, there's only 24 hours in the day. I want to know the secret, Linda. How do you get this done? But we'll get to that in just a second. You know, a show that got me back into animation was a show called Regular Show. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There is just something that is so beautiful about that show. It's, and, and I draw parallels to that show in Ed and Editing, and here's why. They got to do probably not as long as a run as the Ed boys got to do with Danny Antonucci and all the cast and crew there. But I feel like those two shows were the last two shows, at least for me, that I've seen. And there's so many shows out there now that I have not seen that I could probably correlate the same differences and or contrast them. But when I look at these two shows, they, they were given the artistic freedom. They were given the creative freedom to sit there and say everything they wanted to say. And by the time those shows were done, it felt like they got to say and do everything they wanted to say. And a lot of that comes back to you. You, and I know you didn't work on the regular show, you worked on Ed and Eddie and so many other shows, but a lot of that comes to your leadership and, and, and the way you did things. And you gave these guys a voice, maybe when they wouldn't have had a voice with Nickelodeon or Disney or any of these other folks. Um, and as we wind down towards the end of this episode, the main thing I want to get, get through during this episode, you do, to you especially, is as I've gotten older, I, I didn't realize what a thank you could really do to somebody until you're in a really shitty position or a really shitty situation. And somebody says thank you for something just inconspicuous, just something stupid, you know, oh man, thanks for taking out the trash or something like that. I didn't understand how grateful and how great it felt to be grateful. And really what I'm getting at is a long-winded way of saying thank you, Linda. I mean, without shows like this, without shows like Rocco and Samurai Jack and Dinosaur Train and Powerpuff Girls and Dexter's Lab and working with all of these creators, yes, you didn't create these shows, you didn't draw these shows, you didn't write these shows, but you had such a huge role in these shows, letting these creators be what they needed to be and what they needed to do and what they needed to say and what they meant to say, right? And if anybody takes anything from this conversation that we're having, is to be more like Linda. Let creators do <laughs> what they need to do because in today's day and age where people are getting canceled and things are getting canceled and some things need to be canceled as far as just that mindset we were talking about by, I'm gonna treat him like Lord Voldemort if you're a Harry Potter fan. Uh, he who must not be named, and we talked about him earlier, you know, he rhymes with Ron K or Ron L, whatever you want to call him. Um, you know, there's things that do need to be canceled, him specifically. Um, but there are things that, that, that I feel like we'll never get the same creative freedom that you fought for, specifically just talking about the Ed voice. You fought for specifically, and you said uh, rude removal. I got that one written down. I'm gonna watch that as soon as we get down here because I want to see if yeah, I can. Dexter's it. Lab. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I got that one written down here. I'm gonna check that one out. I love that HBO Max put all this stuff back on TV. Um, but without you, and I don't know how humble you are of a person because I just met you. So you know, I'm gonna toot your horn for you, man. Without you, we don't get the same 
shows that we got when I was growing up. We don't get the same, I don't get the same fascination that I had with these shows without somebody like you in your position. Like I said, you let Danny be Danny. Obviously, a lot of his shows ran behind because he was looking, he wanted perfection and he pushed it. And when you talk to those writers and those artists, they said the same thing. If, if it was not for Danny, because a lot of those guys were brand new to animation. It was their first job into animation. Big Jim said it. Joel said it. I think Corey Toomey said, I haven't had him on. He's coming on later. Um, Scott Underwood was another one. It was his first gig into it. Same thing with Jono. You know, all of these guys, this was their first, right? And you don't see that in animation anymore. You don't see creators getting to do and say what they need to say. Um, and, you know, hats off to you, man. My hats off to you. I clap for you, a standing ovation, whatever I can oh, do. Thank man. you. Thank yeah, you, you know, it's a, it's a long way away. And it's always the weirdest part of the conversation because a lot of people don't like the adulation that I try to throw on somebody. And as a fan, I feel like, especially last year, last year we lost so many people, especially one being Kobe Bryant. And there's another reason when we talked about the podcast that I didn't bring up because I want to bring up in this conversation when he died, right? Died at 41 years old with his daughter. And when he died, he left behind a legacy. But I heard a song directly after this. Uh, it was a song called Will by Joyner Lucas, a rapper. And he, his whole, his whole, um, his idol was Will Smith. The guy he looked up to was Will Smith. He, he, he made so many moves that he thought Will Smith would make because that was his role model. That was his influence, right? And that's what I want this podcast to be about. I want, he had a line in there that said, give him a rose while they're still here. Now, you never know when your time's going to be to go. You, you got to check in and you got to check out date. You don't know when you're going to be born. You don't know when you're going to be dying. Right. So, like I said, this is always the weirdest part because it's really weird giving people that you never met all of this adulation, all this credit and, you know, all these applause. But I really feel like it's deserving because so, so often we know the names Ed and Eddie. You might know Danny Antonucci. I did not know how big Linda Semensky was until I heard your name seven times. And then I was like, well, if these people are saying this, she has to mean something. And me, like I said, very new to learn. I mean, I just got this book, you know, a couple months ago and I'm still reading The Mice of Magic. I'm still reading through it on a consistent basis because it's, it's so much information here. I'm trying to read. It looks like a serial killer is reading this book because I've got post-it notes everywhere. I've got highlighter marks and bookmarks and this and that and all this other stuff, just trying to retain it. Um, when you sit back and you look at your career, and like I said, we, we only talked about a very, very small portion. There should be books written about you, Ms. Semensky. Um, but when you sit back and say you've retired at this point, this is always the hypothetical question that I always like to end with. When you sit back in your rocking chair, and I'm only equating this to a Southern type of thing because I'm from the South and this is what we do. We sit in a rocking chair, we sip sweet tea, and we reminisce about the good old days. But when you sit back and you think about where you started at age three when your mom said your favorite thing to do was watch cartoons. And then at age eight, you were talking about that's when the, the switch got flipped. And I started looking at it as a more analytical way. And then you get into you know, college and you start doing this for Nick and the Warner Brothers and you end up with Cartoon Network and then you're with PBS and now you're a professor and you've got all of these huge accolade, accolades under, say that right? Accolades? Accolades, that sounds better, um, under your belt. When you sit back and you think about everything you've accomplished and everything that you want to accomplish and everything that you will accomplish, what do you think is the most gratifying thing that you have ever done in this career? When you sit back and you rest on your laurels, you say, I did that. What's one of the first couple things that come to mind when you think about the career you've had? 
Wow. Well, first of all, thank you for saying all that. I, I, I do appreciate it. And I, uh, you know, I, I still work, so I, I don't stop and think about a lot of this. I, um, you know, I, 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 I know that, you know, I, I tend to think about it a lot as an executive. Like, you know, I, I was one of the first development people of this current era of development people. There were many development people before me, but, you know, not as many working sort of the way we all work now, where, where you know, the development executive is kind of a, like a, you know, kind of a, 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 an activist for, on behalf of the creator, on behalf of the, the creative of the show. I think, uh, you know, I, I started doing that because I wanted to do the opposite of what everyone before me had done. You know, it's like you read all these stories about people who, uh, you know, how tough the executives were. And I, and I always thought, well, I'm just going to be on the side of the animators because that seems like the winning approach. You know, I don't, I don't want to be an executive. I want to just help the animators. And I, I think that I'm, I'm always happy that I could, you know, that I was able to, to, to do that. And, and that, you know, and, and I, I, um, you know, for, for every good decision I made, I probably made seven bad ones, but, you know, luckily most people have forgotten all those bad decisions, you know, the, those have gone away. And so I'm, uh, I'm pretty thankful for that as well. But I think, um, you know, when I, when I think back on, on, you know, a lot of the things that I've, I've done, uh, I'm, I'm happy that I, I trusted myself when, uh, when there were a lot of times where, I didn't really have anything, any you know, real analytical information other than my my gut telling me do that or don't do that. Um, I really pushed for Powerpuff Girls to go to series after it had tested really badly, and uh, it you know it was a you know like it 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 appeared to a lot of people like I was really stupid. Um, you know, it was really not a wise move. But I saw something in not so much. It, it, I, I liked Powerpuff, but I saw something in Craig's boards that he was doing for Dexter that I thought were so funny. And I, I said to him, I said, you know, if you if you can pull that level of funny into the Powerpuff Girls, I think that would work. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, it, it tested really badly. And I was like, so you'll fix it. And, you know, I, I just. I, I pushed that and, and, you know, and that, that impacted a lot of people, that decision, you know, certainly Craig and, and, you know, all the shows he's made since, but all the people who loved Powerpuff Girls, all the girls who didn't pay much attention to cartoons, but loved Powerpuff Girls. And, and, you know, it, it's sort of like, you know, it was a, 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 a I mean, I loved it as a cartoon, but I think it's also a great case study. In something that you know, like wasn't a guaranteed hit, but you know, I was able to convince Mike Lazo, and you know, I remember right up until it premiered, there were like the head of Cartoon Network was like, "Nah, it's not that funny," and um, and I, I remember saying, "Well, you know, it's it's ironic, and that's okay," <laughs> and you know, I was just trying to you know, like, sort of defend myself, but then you know, it just became this huge sort of you know pop culture thing and I felt really good about that like like okay this was definitely worth fighting for because people really seem to like this and and that's really what I wanted to do I wanted to make sure that 
there would be shows that people would like mm-hmm. as much as I liked Bugs Bunny when I was growing up. And so, so it was really more about, you know, the audience and the audience getting to see some cool stuff and the creators getting to really, you know, make, like I just wanted to, I always looked for creators who really had a vision for what they wanted to do because I really wanted them to be able to make those cartoons and, and to feel, you know, respected and appreciated while they made them. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did that. Um, you know, even, even the projects I did that, that didn't do that well, I feel like, you know, they all made sense to me at the time. Maybe they didn't get made the way I expected them to turn out, but, you know, they all made sense to me. So I've, I've never really gone back and thought, oh, I never should have done that. Um, I, uh, I, I, you know, I feel very lucky that I got to work in animation at the time that I got to work in animation because I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a builder when it comes to work. I like to build things. And I got to help build the current animation industry by, by you know, just doing the things that, that just seemed like, I didn't really have the training to know what to do, but I just, I did what, you know, I thought would be fun or cool or interesting. And, and every time something worked, I'd be like, huh, that worked. And uh, <laughs> it's always felt like, like this, sort of weird combination of, 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 of luck and timing and, and being uniquely prepared for something I didn't know I was preparing for, you know? Like those three things happened all at once. And I think if, if, if the timing had been different, I don't know if it would have been as, as interesting, you know, if I had joined the industry after it was all like, you know, like, like, you know, like now, you know, if I got into the animation industry now, you know, there's such a set way of doing things and, you know, so many people who've been great successes and, and that seems so stressful. You know, I got into it at a point where like, you know, it it wasn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't a big deal yet. So it was, it was more fun that way. And I got to help build things. And I'm still amazed that, you know, like people are still watching these shows. There was a, there was an article maybe about a month ago or so in the New York times. And it was about courage, the cowardly dog. I love that show. And, and uh, you know, it was like, you know, a reconsidering of, of courage and why it was such a great show. And I, I emailed John as soon as I saw it and I was like, wow, that's amazing. And, 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 you know, we were just laughing about that. Like, it's so cool. But so I've always felt that I was lucky that I could be, doing, you know, what I love doing at the time I was doing it. And um, sometimes I've, I've wished that, you know, like I knew, I knew more or I was better at my job, but I've come to understand that you do your best work before you know too much, you know, like before you, you, uh, you know, like, like you don't, you don't say no, that won't work to yourself when you're just starting out. Cause you don't really know, you know, you get more logical, the more you do something you get, you get better at it and you get better at knowing what works and what doesn't, and you, you don't make the same crazy decisions. So I've, I've come to understand that like, you know, I, I'm, I, I was lucky that I was doing the things I was doing at a time when I was still figuring it out or making it up because, um, because, you know, it, it made it interesting. And, um, 
I had bosses, but I'm not sure they knew exactly what they were doing either. We were just kind of figuring it out as we were doing it. You know, like we were trying to do things differently. And when you do things differently, it means you're doing them differently from the way you've done them before. So you're just kind of doing it the way you think is right, but you don't really know. And so I look back at all that and I think, wow, that's so interesting that we all got to do that at a time when no one really knew anything. And, and you know, we were just like, like Nick, they went out of their way to hire people who knew just enough to kind of know what they were doing, but not so much that they had old fashioned ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's just, it's really interesting to think about all that. Now, I don't know if I answered your question at all, but I, uh, those, those are just some random thoughts I'm having about, you know, those, those early days and, you know, how interesting that time was. And, and I'm, you know, I feel pretty thankful that I, you know, I was, I was also, you know, working for people who were supportive, you know, like Mike Lazo or, or, you know, Jerry Laybourne, people that, you know, pushed me, you know, the way Danny pushed people, people pushed me too. And, you know, and I, I feel, I feel like, you know, I, I, it's hard to, it's really hard to kind of look at all the things you've done and kind of pick out the things that, that, you know, like, you know, it's, it's, it's hard partly because each show added something, even the ones where I totally screwed up, you know, I, I, you know, it made me better at my job at a later point. And, you know, but, but I I think, um, you know, I'm really proud of all the shows that people still love because, uh, you know, it's, I'm glad we didn't worry so much about schedules and, you know, budgets and things like that. You know, in the end, you just want them to last. Mm -hmm. You want them to still be funny 20 years later. So it's really nice hearing that, you know, people do do think that they're funny 15 years later or, or, or whatever. And, you know, I don't, I don't know that, um, you know, these, these companies like Cartoon Network can ever be as as casual and as free as they were back then. So again, it's a timing thing. So I feel, I feel like that was, that was pretty lucky. Um, I feel like all those animators who were sort of coming out of this era where they had to work on bad things and they had all this pent up energy. It was sort of great to, you know, like find people and, and kind of unlock the shackles and say, yeah, you know, now make, make sure it looks like you're drawing and, you know, make sure it, it feels like your, your vision. And, and, you know, to be able to say that to people, I think was, was pretty great. And, um, you know, and the, the thing I like now about teaching is that, you know, a lot of people are curious about what it was like back then, and and uh, you know how how you know the history of animation, how things got to the points they got to. It's a very logical story, yeah. you know. Like you were talking about Bugs Bunny being, um, you know, for adults, and it's like it be it became for kids because it was cheap programming that the TV stations could get and run at times when kids were watching TV and no one else was, and it didn't cost a lot, so they could afford it. You know, they were this new platform and they, could, they couldn't afford much, but they could afford to buy, you know, old theatricals and put them on and let kids watch them. And that's how cartoons in the US became quote unquote 
for kids mm -hmm. was, you know, because of the invention of television. So, you know, every bit of animation history makes perfect sense when you line them up and you look at them. And so this explosion of animation that happened in the 90s, it makes perfect sense that after, you know, decades of, of animation being sort of like, you know, left for dead and all these people loving it so much and loving the old stuff so much, it just makes sense that it would all explode and keep exploding, you know? I mean, there've been periods where, you know, but, but I, I feel like, you know, now you get a lot of creators who grew up on Ed, Ed and Eddie and Hey Arnold and, you know, all sorts of things. And, uh, you know, everyone's always got a question for me. I was talking to this guy the other day and he said, so can you explain Angry Beavers to me? Like, what were you, what was that about anyway? And, and you know, so I get these questions and I, I love getting questions like that because it's like, oh yeah, I can explain exactly what that was about and, and how, you know, the network kind of morphed it into just two brothers and, you know, and uh, I said in the pilot, you know, they were, they were kind of angry. They were kind of nuts, but you know, it's just funny to get those questions. And so I, you know, I feel like, you know, if you are going to provide, you know, the backdrop to people's, you know, to their childhood, you better be able to explain yourself 20 years later when they've got questions about, you know, what did this mean? And what did that mean? You know, so we're at that time now where, where people grew up with these cartoons and they just, they're thinking about them and they're, it's a big part of their youth and they just have questions. And so I'm, I'm just happy. I got to be part of people's childhoods. And, um, you know, I ended up doing preschool programming after my son, turned two and started watching TV and I started watching with him. And I, I had a really good sense of what he was interested in and what he liked. And I thought, you know, they're not making any kind of shows that he likes, but I could do that. Yeah. And that's kind of what, what led me to PBS. And, uh, and so here's something funny about, about that is that I would say of the three jobs that I've had in, in uh, TV making, I get the most creative freedom at PBS. Really? Which I don't, yeah, I don't think people would believe that, but, you know, yeah, I feel like it, it, and PBS, you know, people are like, you know, just so much more, like, they're so much more open-minded about, you know, what a show for kids needs to look like, you know, at, at, at Cartoon Network, you know, there was sort of a, you know, there was a range, but you couldn't, you couldn't break out of it, and at Nick, you know, there was, there was, a, you know, there was a thing you were trying to achieve. And at, at PBS, it's just, it's a little more open-minded than that. And, you know, the, I think the hardest thing is getting people to push, you know, push themselves out of, out of, you know, out of the range of what it is, but it's a bunch of very open-minded sort of, you know, uh, fun-loving people who mm -hmm. really want to make great shows for little kids. So yeah. I always feel like, you know, the, the training that I got at Nick and Cartoon, I can use that to make, to make the preschool versions of those cartoons. And you've noticed I've worked with Craig Bartlett and I've worked with Joe Murray and, you know, and, and I, you know, it's like all of these people who've had kids and who think about what their kids liked and, and, you know, and, and can just, you know, do it for them. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so you know, I'm, I, I'd say that's the biggest thing I'm proud of is that, you know, I could, I could sort of help create the backdrop to people's lives and, and that they remember it all these years later, 
you know, I think that's, I think that's awesome. So um, I, uh, I, I don't pick favorites, you know, I don't like to pick favorites because each show has something to commend it. Each creator has something awesome that they do or did. And, and, and uh, you know, I just, I feel lucky that I, I, you know, worked with all the people I got to work with. And, uh, and so it really, really comes down to that. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I answered your question, but it was fun talking about all those things just now. So thank you for, for the kind words and thank you for, you know, giving me the chance to, you know, sit on my rocking chair and, and think back to the olden days. I, uh, you know, I, I, I do feel like I, I, I've written some essays for academic books, but I, I, I do feel like I should write more down because I feel like as an animation historian, I'm always looking for things that people have written about the things they worked on. I always feel like those are the most interesting uh, documents. The best text for understanding something is understanding what someone was thinking about as they worked on it. And then I thought, well, if I'm trying to get these out of everyone else, maybe maybe I should do it too. So uh, I, uh, yeah. I want to just one second. As soon as we're done with this, we'll pause. And I want to talk about that. I won't take too much of your time up after that, but I, I really want to hit it on that point because you you named off shows and you're just talking about animators. You had Danny with Ed and Eddie. You had John with Courage. You had Craig with Powerpuff Girls and he was doing a, a, a Dexter's Lab as well. You had Jendi, which was on Dexter's Lab. Mm -hmm. You had Van, which was on mm -hmm. Johnny Bravo. You talked about all of these shows and I'm leaving a couple out there and I apologize there's so many more we could talk about really. Um, but that was really the renaissance of animation. And you had other characters, you had other creators. You had Seth MacFarlane, you had David Feiss on Cow and Chicken. Seth MacFarlane was on Cow and Chicken as well, as well as so many other boarded Yeah, on. oh yeah, so yeah he worked had, on a bunch of things, yeah. Yeah, it, it's just, it's wild to sit here and think about 20 years ago, right? Just a, just a ballpark to 2001 before the world completely changed with 9-11. You go back three, four years from that. So let's take 25 years, really. You think about all of the shows that came out of that. And you look at all of those shows, right? Right As, a, as a, you just take a capsulation of that time right there. You flash forward 25 years. Every single one of those animators has made a show that almost Everybody in America has seen from Family Guy to American Dad to Cow and Chicken to Angry Beavers. You can just go off. It is a murderer's row of animators and creators. And you had such a huge part in that, letting creators be creators. And I don't know if people say this enough. And you, the, the, the comment you made before we started rolling about your friends, you know, going to a group of people, it's a very small group of people that know you right remember that conversation oh yeah yeah my roommate yeah right so yeah. think about it this way well that guy might have taken it as far as as like if me i would have taken it as a slight i'm like man i'll, I'll show you type of thing down oh there. i think he was just he was kidding me oh i just yeah i just thought it was funny a hundred percent but but you look at it like now you've touched more lives just by doing what you do and in most people that i talk to on here they, they go, uh, like, what would what, what, you get or how did you get on this job? It's like, oh, it's just a job, man. I was just trying to pay the bills, right? When I sit here and think about all of this stuff you touch and all these lives that you've touched and all these people you've touched, both directly, as I throw my pen, both directly and indirectly, right? It is fascinating that you are as humble 
as you are. I would be telling everybody, oh, not that I created these shows, but like I had a part in this and this. I would not be able to shut my mouth up at this point. <laughs> so 100%, I, I do believe if you can find it in your time at this point, you need to write a book, man, because, and you can call it, you've said it a few times, the backdrop what was it? There's a backdrop of your life or something like that. You could use that as a title or something along those lines. Like I said, as soon as we get off this call, I just want to talk about that just real quickly. But at the end of the day, man, I, I you did answer my question. And when I get people on here, it's, it's not for clickbaits. If, if one person sees this, that's not myself. Um, I don't want to say that that's all I'm really looking for, because at the end of the day, what I'm really looking for is to have people on that had such a huge impact on me that I can have real conversations with. This isn't for clickbait. This isn't me trying to get you to bury somebody or just shit all over somebody that was just you know rude to you or anything like that. That's not what this is about. This is about highlighting the names that are at the end of these shows. The credits on all of these shows go by like this. You have a 20 minute to 22 minute, depending on how many commercials you have on there of a show. And you've got seven seconds worth of credits, right? You pause it and you've got 50 names on one credit score, right? So that's what this is about. This is about highlighting you guys. And I really appreciate all the stories you've shared with me. I really appreciate what you've done for these creators, because it's not just that you created a fan, a fan like myself and fans like everybody else. You gave these creators the I don't want to say freedom because you definitely had to rein some of these guys in, some of these girls in as well. You had to do your job, but you you gave them a place where they could feel. I don't want to say safe space. You gave them a space well protected. Where, I was yes. I was trying to protect people from just you know like you know annoying network executives. You know, yes. it's like I never never really worked with too many annoying executives because you know I didn't hire them. I hired. I was lucky to work with really great people. Uh, you know, they all went on to, you know, bigger jobs and, you know, to run things and, and they're all out there making cartoons now. So, uh, you know, it was, but it was about protecting people and it was about giving them an environment where they could be creative mm -hmm. and feel protected. And that's really what people need when they want to be creative. They need to know that, you know, someone gets them and someone it wants them to be themselves. And so I, uh, and I always felt lucky that I got that job. You know, I took it seriously because I felt like, you know, that's, I could do that. That is what I will do. I will, you know, I will be there for people. And, and that, you know, to this day, you know, that's, that's what I do. I will spend as much time as people want working on things with them because I feel like, you know, in the end, the results will be good. You know, people don't spend enough time thinking and they don't spend enough time just talking to people. And, uh, you know, that's, that's something I can offer people is, you know, that, that, you know, understanding them under taking the time to understand them and then helping them to get to the point where the show is the show they wanted to make. And, um, you know, I, I was uh, I was actually I was mentioning to you earlier working with Sonia Manzano on a show. We started talking about this show back in 2012. So that's a pretty long time ago. It took us this long to get to the point where the show is going to premiere. And uh, but we spent a lot of time talking and a lot of time thinking and a lot of time, you know, going through things and and things need time. 
if they're going to be good. They just need a lot of time. And, and so that's, you know, I kind of feel like, you know, it, what can I give people time? Yeah. I will give people time. And, and I think sometimes that's, uh, that's the thing people need. They need, you know, they just, they just need that level of being listened to. And, and, uh, you know, I think I can do that. That's something I'm good at. I'm more than happy to do that. And so I think, uh, you know, and I feel, I feel lucky that I got to work with all these people. And again, it was, you know, that combination of timing and, and luck and preparing for a job that, you know, didn't exist yet, but, um, you know, it worked. And, uh, and, you know, and, and with good creators, you can just see it immediately. They have something about them. They have something they want to say and they just have ideas and you just feel this, you know, like electric feeling from people. And I always feel like, you know, those few times when I get to meet someone who's like that, I will work really hard to make sure they get a show and that their show is great and, you know, and that they're happy. So, um, so yeah, so it's, it's great when it works, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's great. So I am, uh, I, you know, it means so much to me to hear that you like the show so much that you've put so much of your time into talking to all these people who worked on it. I mean, that's so wild because it's so great. It's, you know, and it's like, you know, you probably don't have the time either, but you know, it, it's, it's so important to you that you are taking the time to build, you know, to, to sort of build a repository of information about the show for, you know, future researchers. So good for you, you know, that's awesome. And, uh, and, you know, it's great for the people who worked on the show too, because, you know, they, they, uh, you know, they're getting recognized for the awesome contributions and, you know, all the crazy post-it notes <laughs> that, they, that everyone had to deal with. But, you know, we, we loved those post-it notes, you know, even the mean ones, they were funny. <laughs> I can I can only imagine. Like I said, as we as we start to wind down, and I didn't mean to keep mm -hmm. you this long, but the time kind of flies mm -hmm. by. You know, uh, this might be the longest podcast I've done so far. Usually, oh, uh, you're gonna have to edit now. Absolutely not. Everything is staying <laughs> in here. Everything is going up because there's one thing I don't like. Unless it's unless you guys just say something you couldn't have said because uh, you couldn't release that information just yet, or just something happens. I try not to edit. So people need to see this in long format. Um, and that's what a conversation should be, man. A conversation is not just yes and no, everybody trying to get their shit. And I got this to say, I want to say this, this person says this. It, it doesn't really work. And it comes off very ingenuine. It doesn't come off like, oh man, this guy's just doing this to talk to people. He's just on to the next one. And no, like I want to have everybody on that is on every credit of every show I've ever been a fan of. And yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, That's you know, that, that is my ultimate yeah. goal, man. I, I told Jerry last night that my ultimate goal is to do what you're doing and you've been doing for so long, Jerry, but I want to do it in a video format. I want to give people the credit that they deserve while they're still here. There's so many creators that are long and gone and in the ground and will never be able to talk to. Same thing with artists and writers and all this other stuff. And I feel like that's a travesty. I feel like that's something that, like I said, I, I told you earlier, it, it's something just a thank you can do so much for people, especially what it does for me. These things gave me so much joy, both when I was a kid and when I was deployed, when I was missing my wife and my son, when I was overseas fighting a war that we shouldn't have been fighting and I'm not gonna get on anything like that, but we shouldn't have been over there 
this gave me solace. This gave me hope. This gave me a time where I could laugh when I didn't think I could laugh or I didn't think I should laugh. It gave yeah, me a time great. to decompress. And we all need that, especially now more than ever. With as divided as this country is, there's something that can bring everybody together. And I think that's animation. You saw it at such a young age, at three, at eight, and all these other different ages. I saw it at a young age too. And that's something we can take from cartoons. Why it, Jerry said it's not made for kids, but now it is made for kids. We've got cartoons that are specifically made for kids. A lot of the shows you work on now at PBS, and I thought it was wild that that was the most creatively freedom that you have right now with all the shit I've seen on Cartoon Network, that PBS is the place to go now. Um, but, but like I said, as we wind down here, uh, I want to thank you again just one more time because there, there's this was an enlightening conversation. I didn't know what to expect. I never know what to expect when I have anybody on because when I have when I have anybody on, I literally write your name. I write down some bullet points because I don't like going by a script because then it feels like I'm boxed in. It feels like I'm claustrophobic. Mm -hmm. and it just feels like, oh, he's reading from something. I like keeping it free flowing and organic. If I forget about a point I wanted to make, It'll come back to me later. I'll have you on six months, a year from now, whatever it is. And I'll hit it then if I want to. But it, it, it's I, I like this free flowing conversation. I like how deep you got into, you know, people call it the weeds. I love stories like this because this industry is so damn guarded when it comes to stuff because everybody's afraid to say the wrong thing or everybody's afraid to say something that might see them in a negative light or a positive light you know it's very weird with with stuff like this but i get it right so when i have people on like yourself or i have people on like jerry or fred cyber or bill billy west insert any name that i've had on so far it's always so fun and refreshing when i have people on that let their hair down they talk and they enjoy talking man so Thank you for that. You're a, you should teach or something like that, Linda, because you're fantastic <laughs> at talking. Um, but as we end this, I always open this up for you, uh, for, for the guests. Um, is there anything that you would like to say? We, we, you briefly touched on it. So Alma's Way is coming in a couple months, you said, right? Yeah, that's Alma's Way premieres on, uh, in, in October, October 4th of um, this year. And it's created by Sonia Manzano, who was a Maria on Sesame Street. So if anyone was a, a fan of hers, um, it's, uh, it's coming. It looks super cool. There's a, there's a moment in the opening where it, it's sort of a bird's eye view. And you literally go, the subway train is going by and you go through the train and you see the people on the train and it's all over in less than a second. And That's you've awesome. gone through this train to get through to the other side of the train. And it's, it's such a great opening sequence. So watch it for that, you know? It's like, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's great animation. And uh, Pipeline Studios up in um, Ontario did that. And uh, looks super cool. And, um, and then we're, the next show that I have that's coming up um, is Puppets. It's uh, the Mr. Rogers spinoff, Don Quixote. Uh, I'm not as much of an expert on puppets, I have to say. Uh, not my, not my area of expertise. But you know, it it will be interesting to see if kids are into puppets these days. So I'll report back. <laughs> but it's a funny show, and we're working with. Uh, it's the team who does uh, Nature Cat, another show on our air. It's the they're also puppeteers, and they are making this show, and it's a lot of fun, and. Um, yeah. So those, and, you know, working on more shows after that. So, uh, so, uh, you know, if anyone out there is interested in, uh, in developing shows, you know, if you want to get more into the nuts and bolts of what it takes to make a show, 
you can track me down through Julian and uh, I will, I will uh, walk you through the process. So happy to do that. I've got a name for you, and I'll send him. I'll send him along. Oh, cool. Um, okay, good. He's, he's good. doing a uh, a few years after uh, the Ed Boys finished up there in their last year of high school. It's called mm -hmm. Peach Creek. George Abedin, fantastic guy. Um, found him on YouTube of all places, and then we. Oh, cool. I've had him on the show. Mm -hmm. He's a fantastic person. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll for sure pass. I'll make sure he sees mm -hmm. this video for sure. Um, but is there anything that you have not said that you would like to say as we wrap this up? Well, thank you. You know, thank you for doing this. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, this is a, a, a public service, what you're doing, you know, talking to people. So, so thank you. Uh, and it was, of course, you know, it was fun to talk your ear off. You're probably like, oh my God. But, you know, it's really a lot of fun to talk about cartoons and my family has grown bored of me. So, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> My son's like, eh, animation, it's okay. So, uh, so, you know, so this was fun. So something I don't get to do that much. So well, I'm glad, man. I'm, so always, thanks. I'm always looking for a co-host, Linda. So if you can find time in your day, we can come back on, we can do this shit again. But nonetheless, man, she's been Linda. I've been Julian. This has been What's My Head podcast. And if I can say anything, meet your heroes, ladies and gentlemen. Bye-bye. And I'll see you guys later. Bye. Thanks again for checking out the What's In My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.